How many of you guys are uh, currently in some form of an unmarried but dating relationship? Okay. How many of you are engaged? How many of you are married? Cool. Cool. Represent. Okay. Cool. We are going to take some time tonight and tomorrow night, and I just want to bring some sort of biblical thoughts behind dating and marriage. Uh, Tonight is going to be really aimed at the framework of marriage and, excuse me, of dating and why we should date and where dating kind of has its place and what are some general principles you might want to follow in dating and that kind of thing. And then tomorrow night, we're going to look at marriage specifically and look at um, moving toward those two, that relationship of husband and wife, uh, sexuality before marriage, all those kind of things. We're going to take a, a real look at that. And one of the things you'll learn about me is, is that um, I'm, I just shoot straight with you. And so um, if you have some questions between sessions or whatever, I will always shoot straight and give you straight answers. And we're just going to be upfront and honest and clear about some things tonight. So kind of buckle your seatbelts. We'll have a good time together. Uh, but it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be one of those times where we're not just trying to give a bunch of church answers about dating and that kind of thing. Uh, we're we're going to try to be real and understand that dating is messy. Amen. Dating, dating is complicated, all that kind of stuff. But it's really bad, but you have to understand there's some risk for the bad to get to the really good. And God has for some reason set up life so that men and women would desire each other and fall in love with each other and be married to each other. So somehow God has some plans to teach us and to grow us and to use us in those relationships. And I want to start out tonight by just reminding you that the best plans for, the best plans for dating start out with a really good plan for marriage. And that sounds like, wait a minute, you're skipping ahead. Like, I just want to date. I'm not really looking to get married. But you ought to think of a dating relationship as someone as the on-ramp to marriage. It's the on-ramp of the freeway toward marriage. It's not, you know, to go out with somebody on a date or to even to be dating someone is not, hey, we're promised to each other. It's not sort of a courtship, sort of arranged marriage kind of thing where, oh, my gosh, I went out on a date or we're dating now, so I guess we have to get married. It's not that sort of foregone conclusion, but you should never date someone that you couldn't see yourself possibly marrying. Dating should be looked at as the on-ramp to marriage, and that's why I'm saying the best plan for dating, if you want to think, how do I find someone to date? How do I find someone to, to be in a relationship with? A strategic plan for dating needs to start with a strategic plan for marriage. So you need to think all the way down the road, what, do you, what kind of marriage do you want to enjoy? What kind of marriage do you want when you've been married 25 years? What kind of life do you want to have with somebody as, as your spouse? What kind of, kind of home do you guys want to set up together? What do, you, what do you guys want to do together as husband and wife in terms of just enjoying each other and enjoying life and all of those kind of things? If you don't have a clear picture of that, then you are very likely to stumble and fumble along through dating world. Because if you can get a good strategic vision for marriage... These are my dreams for marriage. These are my hopes for marriage. Now, you're not putting in an order here. You're not checking all the boxes like, I want someone this tall. I want someone this kind of hair. I want someone who likes this music. I want someone who doesn't like this music. You know, you're not putting in an order. That, not that kind of dreaming. But you need to think about marriage before you think about dating because dating really is the on-ramp to that. Now, if you're looking for a biblical framework of marriage, don't let anybody lie to you. Um, 
dating is not in the Bible. <laughs> okay, and so if someone tells you that that here are the biblical principles for dating, um, they're stretching it a little bit because dating is not in the Bible. In the ancient Near East, uh, when the, the times of the Old Testament and the New Testament in those cultures, dating wasn't a thing. And you know what? You should be glad about that because um, you're, you don't have to live through those things like they did. It was arranged marriages, pretty much. And it was one of those things where, hey, our families are close. I got a son. You got a daughter. Oh, hey, that would be a fun match. We could get to see each other all the time, and so let's make that happen. And love really wasn't a priority. Uh, whether you guys clicked or got along or liked the same things, that really wasn't a factor, whether you liked the same music or hated the same music. I don't know what music they had back then, but uh, harp music maybe? I don't know. Maybe some little finger cymbals? I don't know. I don't know what that was. But, um, but that really wasn't a factor. It was just arranged marriages. So if, if dating isn't biblical, I want to lift up this thought. Just because dating isn't biblical, that doesn't mean that dating is unbiblical. Just because it's not in the Bible spelled out, that doesn't mean that dating is an unbiblical practice. Because there are some weasels out there who would say, well, what did they do in the Bible? They did arranged marriages, so we should do arranged marriages. And we would all say, no, thank you. Dating can be a biblical concept. And here's what I mean. When you think about dating, you can use this as an exercise of wisdom. And the Bible is all about wisdom, isn't it? The Bible is really committed to wisdom. Think about a couple of verses. You don't need to look these up right now, but Proverbs 5, 6, that says, Do not forsake wisdom, for she, this is the personification of wisdom, will protect you, love her, and she will watch over you. The book of James, chapter 1, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God, who gives generously, to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Wisdom is something that we are told to ask for. Wisdom is this discerning viewpoint of seeing things from God's perspective. Wisdom is this getting on board with what God values in certain situations. Wisdom is trying to be careful and thoughtful. And hello, if you're moving toward marriage, you should be careful and thoughtful. If you're moving toward marriage, you should get on board with what God values. If you're moving toward marriage, you should be excited about coming at life from God's point of view. And so I argue that even though you can't find dating in the Bible, it is very much a biblical idea because you're going to be wise men and women before you walk down an aisle and eat wedding cake someday. Dating can be an exercise of wisdom. And somebody in, the, in this house tonight may be going, you know what, I don't need to date. I'll just meet the right person and then we'll plan it for like three weeks later and we'll get married dating is good. Dating, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to learn about the other people. And you're going to find, through some discovery, the plan that God has for you along the way. Bible doesn't speak about dating, but it does talk a lot about love, doesn't it? It talks about who we are in relation to the God who made us. It talks about all the ways that we're supposed to relate to Him and follow His lead and live according to His design for life because it's the best way to live. It's not because God has written all these kind of rules and regulations to keep us from fun and joy. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. God has pointed us on the paths that lead to joy and pointed us away from the paths that lead to regret and destruction and hardship. He's given us all these directions because He's wanted us to walk on the good paths. So if the Bible's got a lot to say about love and the Bible's got a lot to say about how to walk in a way that leads to life and joy and blessing, then we should 
really try to put those two things together. Our concept of love should be grounded in what God says about how we're to live with him. Our concept of love should be grounded in what God's word says about how we are to live with him. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you didn't, either your app or a, a book, Bible, whatever you got, but open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, this is typically known as the love chapter, but it's not love in terms of man and woman love. It is this godly love, this agape, beautiful, perfect, God kind of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to walk you through some dating principles for the next few minutes, some principles showing you how going God's way and understanding love between a man and a woman are really interconnected, and that's the way it should be. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read starting in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. You got it? Let's jump in. The Apostle Paul writes to this church, and he's just kind of gushing about love, godly love. This isn't human love. This is godly. This is the ideal. This is the standard. This is like the ultimate of love. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. And love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, the last one we're going to read. Love bears all things. It means it can endure all things. It believes all things. It's an optimistic love. It hopes all things. It's a forward-looking love, and it endures all things. God's love, this agape love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is the ultimate concept of what any kind of love could be. And our human relationships must be built on this idea. Let me walk you through a couple of these parts here from verses uh, 4 to 7. It says, first of all, that love is patient and love is kind. I think kindness has to be a part of your dating relationships. Because love is kind, you must be clear about your feelings and your intentions. Connect those dots for a minute. Because love is kind. Think about that word kindness for a minute. It, it means you want to consider the other person, right? It means you want to be thoughtful and considerate. Love is kind. So you ought to be that way with your feelings and your intentions. So that means let's not play junior high games in our dating relationships. I mean, do you like me or do you like like me? That's not kind because that leaves somebody guessing. And leaving someone guessing can be a form of torture. Leaving somebody wondering, why are they like spending a lot of time with me because they just want to be my friend? Or is there something else going on here? Or, girls, sorry to pick on you for a moment. By the way, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender for the weekend here. <laughs> girls, sometimes a guy will hang with you, and you are being, like, super friendly with him. And in his mind, he's thinking, like, oh, I am moving out of the friend zone. I am moving my way in to be boyfriend. And you're thinking, this is a great friend to hang out with all the time. It is not kind to leave him in the dark about that. 
Now, there are ways to do that, by the way. You don't need to just sort of like send him a text. Like, okay, let me just lay it out for you right now how it is. So stay 12 yards away from me at all times. <laughs> and if we are seen in public together, it will be because I approved the scenario. <laughs> the point of this isn't boy-girl hidden feelings as much as when I date, I want this to be in your thought. When I date, I want to, I want to be kind as I date because love is kind. I want that to be a part of my dating approach. I want the love of God kindness to be a part of it. There's no leading people on, and there's no mind reading. Oh, my gosh. Hey, that stool moves. It's going to be kind of fun. There's no mind reading that goes on. There's none of this like, why haven't you asked me out yet? I've been giving you all the clues, says the girl. Because we're not mind readers. Boys sometimes have to be hit over the head. Boys sometimes need to know with clarity what's happening there. And sometimes it's because boys are clueless. Right, guys? We're clueless sometimes. Sometimes. You know, but sometimes we're chicken. Sometimes we don't want to step forward to approach you unless we know it's a sure thing. Sometimes boys get caught into these games too. Like, I just want to test the waters a little bit. I want to kind of drop a hint. Oh, did you think I was asking you out? No, I was just seeing what you were doing this weekend. No, no. Okay, that went well. Okay. <laughs> so if you're going to be kind, like the love of God is kind, you're going to have to be clear about your feelings and about your intentions. And men in the room, you need to lead. God has wired men to lead. Now let's just jump off into that little side street for a moment. God is wired in human relationships for men to lead, not because men are smarter or better. Here's the way I like to say it. God told a man and a woman to drive together in a car called marriage, and he looked at the guy and said, I want you to drive. It's not because she can't drive, but these are assigned roles from God. And you and I have no realization of what all he meant when he assigned these roles. But we don't take the woman and put her in the back seat and tell her to not speak. We don't take the woman and say, hey, you just sit still over there and I'll tell you when we're going to go to places and where I want to go and all those kind of things. It's just assignments in a relationship. So hello, men. If you're working toward being a man, a leading man in a marriage, you need to be leading in dating because love is kind. And one of the first kindnesses you can show a woman is to be upfront about your feelings and your intentions and cut out all the game playing. And you can lead in that discuss the phases of the relationship. Now, down in Texas, we call that the DTR. Do you guys have that up here? The DTR talk is, is, the DTR stands for define the relationship. That's basically when a guy and a girl get together, and usually the girl has to initiate this because the guy's a weenie. <laughs> and the girl has to go, what are we? Can we just talk for a minute? What are we? And the guy's like, what do you mean? Like, are we dating or not dating? I saw you talking to that other girl, and then you were talking to me, and then I looked at your phone. You were looking at my phone? Yes, I was looking at your phone. And so, I said, listen, you guys make me laugh sometimes because you get all riled up because, like, a certain girl liked a guy's Instagram pic, 
<laughs> I mean, it's not even like she snuggled up next to him or anything. She just liked it. What's she like in your pick for? What's that? What's going on there? I don't know. It's her feed. But this conversation, the DTR, the define the relationship, what are we? Where are we? What's the status? What's the label we need to put on this? Guys, you need to lead in that. Guys, you need to step up. You know why? Because love is kind. And kindness takes out the cloud of uncertainty. Kindness looks at a woman and says, I don't ever have, want you to ever have to wonder how I feel about you. I don't ever want you to have to wonder where you stand in this relationship. I don't ever want you to wonder that you're loved. I don't ever want you to have to wonder and guess if you're cared for and valued. I'm going to start when we're dating. I'm going to keep going when we're married. And for the rest of your life, I want to be as clear as I can, as often as I can, as creatively as I can, to be absolutely crystal clear of how I feel about you. So you don't have to leave the house ever wondering, am I valuable and I love? I'm going to pour out that truth to you as often as I can. And that has to start in dating world. That kind of clarity. So if you're dating somebody, if you're hanging out with somebody, there needs to be a little bit of a discussion. And men, I think you need to lead in that. Let me give you four phases of a relationship before marriage. The first phase is called the interested phase. That's when you're like, oh, hello. (laughs) I've been seeing her at church for the last couple of weeks. I think I would like to worship God next to her. (laughs) And I think I'm going to pretend to look for things that I might have lost when we all leave so that I can like arrive at the door at the same time she arrives at the door. (laughs) Oh, hello. How are you? Strange to meet you here at this exact time. (laughs) The interested phase, this is how I describe it, is when you notice someone to be interesting, attractive, and available. Underline the third part. When you notice someone to be interesting, attractive, and available. Friends, do not go shopping for things that are already committed in another relationship. That's off the market for you. That's the interested phase, noticing someone to be interesting, attractive, and available. Here's the discovery phase. This is the second phase. The discovery phase is when you're spending time together on individual dates, spending time together on individual dates with no commitment for future dates. Spending time together on individual dates with no commitment for future dates. This is the idea of, hey, I'm going to ask this girl out to coffee, and we're going to go have coffee and a conversation. And we're going to discover. And I'm going to discover if I'd like to maybe ask her out for a second date. And she's going to discover if she would like to do a second date. Just because we go out to lunch or coffee, it doesn't mean we're getting married. We're not picking out videographers and flowers and honeymoon destinations. We're just, <laughs> we're just going to coffee. I like to tell students, it's just coffee. That's all it is. It's, it's just coffee. But there needs to be this discovery phase where you are spending time together on individual dates. Now, here's the third phase, the dating phase. The dating phase. This is a declared relationship, a declared relationship with both of you open to the possible outcome of marriage. A declared relationship. That means you've talked about it. Hey, we're a couple. 
Let's let's be boyfriend and girlfriend. Let's be in a dating relationship, exclusive, committed to each other. And both of you are open to the possible outcome of marriage. Now, is this a decision that you're definitely getting engaged? No. It's a more committed, exclusive discovery. That's really what it is. Both of you are open to the possible outcome of marriage. That's why I like to say it's the on-ramp. Dating's the on-ramp to the freeway toward marriage. And you shouldn't date anybody that you couldn't possibly see yourself marrying. Now, three phases. Interested phase, discovery phase, the dating phase, and then there's the engagement phase. The engagement phase. And this is obviously when you're preparing to be married. Preparing to be married. So you've got these phases. This is some good language. Hey, where are we in this relationship? I feel like we're sort of in the discovery phase. Or I feel like we're in the dating. We're officially dating. Are, we still, are, we, are you dating them? No, we're just in the discovery phase. We're just sort of figuring that out, whether we want to be a committed relationship or not. We're just hanging out together. Dating phase, engagement phase. Now, men, you need to ask girls out. You need to ask girls out and stop waiting for the sufficient signals you think you need to eliminate any risk of rejection. No risk it, no biscuit. (laughs) All of the things that make love wonderful, all of the things that make love wonderful, that means it includes some risk. You are absolutely vulnerable with people. Now, you want to take this progression down the line a little bit further? You're going to be vulnerable with someone to ask them out, and you're going to put your little heart out there, men, and you're going to say, hey, would you like to go to coffee with me sometime um, this week? And you're going to give her the opportunity to say, well, yes, I would love to go to coffee with you. You're not planning to get married. But, or she can crush it, and she can say, <laughs> no, I don't want to go to coffee with you. Now, that's what you think happens there. But you're just in the interested phase. And all it means is is that she wasn't interested in going to coffee with you. It didn't mean that she thinks you're terrible or thinks you're awful or anything. She gets to have her own interest, okay? And girls, just because a guy asks you out, you don't have to say yes. But if a guy does ask you out, you do have to give him a clear answer because love is kind. Love is kind. I don't know, maybe. I don't know, kind of got some stuff to do. I think my dog needs to be bathed or something that weekend. But maybe I'll open up. And then you want to go ask your friends, should I go to coffee with them? And say, no. Be a semi-adult. Be, be, be a person ready to get on this on-ramp toward marriage. And men, put yourself out there and take a little risk. It's worth it. And don't necessarily think that there's a woman that's ungettable in terms of a a coffee date, okay? Don't talk yourself out of it. Give her the opportunity to answer and be persistent. You're going to make yourself vulnerable in a dating way. And girls, you're going to get to know him on these dates and you're going to make your hearts vulnerable and talk about your, your life and your dreams and your hopes and your fears and your scars. And you're going to make yourself vulnerable a little bit further down the way when you say, 
yes, I will marry you, and oh my, okay, we will commit to spending the rest of our lives together. <laughs> That's a vulnerable commitment. And then you're going to get married, and you're going to approach this person, and the two of you will become one flesh. Do you know what that means? That means sex, okay? <laughs> you're going to make yourself in the most ultimate of vulnerables. So guys, get ready and get started in the vulnerability of putting your heart out there at risk because there's vulnerability all along the way. There's vulnerability even as you get married, beyond your wedding night, beyond all the years, as the two of you grow older and you start to look different than you did when you were 19 and you, you start to lose your hair and add some pounds and you just start to be different and your interests are different and you're busy and all those kind of things, you're vulnerable because you're standing inside of the promise of marriage and all that. And it said that even if my body changes, even if some of my interests changes, they're still going to love me, and I'm vulnerable in that. Vulnerability is, is the name of the game. So you're going to have to be aware of that. You're going to have to be ready to risk that. Let me put a cap on this one. Because you know the other person's vulnerable, girls, when he's asking you out, he's vulnerable. You know what love should be to him? Kind. Okay? You should be kind. Guys, when you're asking her, be kind. Because love is kind, you must be clear about your feelings and your intentions. When you are, by the way, one little note here, last one on this one. When you are in a committed, exclusive relationship, you are on hold for others while the potential for marriage is considered. If you're dating somebody, you are on hold. You're not open to other coffee dates. You're not offer, open to other lunch dates. You're not open to considering better looking opportunities in the truest sense of that phrase. If you've committed to a relationship, you are on hold for others while you consider, consider the potential for marriage as an outcome. But if you realize that you're no longer open to marriage as an outcome, then you need to be kind and step out of that and not be unclear. Next one out of 1 Corinthians 13. Because love, because love does not boast, because love does not boast, you must be humble as you present yourself. Humble, and I would add accurate. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not envy and it does not boast. The idea of boasting is sort of this puffed up, cocky, arrogant, somewhat putting on a false front. Think of, of profile pics. Okay, people take 47 selfies to get the one with the right light and the right neck turn and the right eye sparkle and the pouty lips or whatever they're doing these days. But they take 47 and they have one that they add 11 filters to. And then, you know, they do the vignette on it. And, and then they, they put it up and they're finally there. And you're like, like thinking, like you look at some of these personas, you look at some of these profiles and it's not real. And a lot of times the way you're presenting yourself in public by the way you dress is not real. 
by the way you come across in conversation is not real and authentic and humble. And then some of you are just flat out lying on your internet personalities in different places. Let's take a side road here for a moment and talk about online dating. What does the Bible say about online dating? Can you guess? Not a single thing. Not a single thing about online dating. But it does say that we should be humble. And I think part of that humility is that we're honest and accurate about who we are. What do I think as a pastor about online dating? Here's some just general thoughts and we'll move on. I think online dating is good if godliness is your goal, not just trying to find someone who's cute or likes the same hobbies you like. If you've got a list of must-haves in your online dating profile, it needs to be about Jesus and heart and life and not body measurements, hair color, and sports that you like. Online dating can be good if that's an issue. Online dating is better if you're in the same town and you can meet up and date face-to-face. Because the goal of online dating is to make an introduction, right? It's just to make an introduction. So it's good if your goals are to find a godly man or a godly woman to eventually date and perhaps marry. It's better if you're in the same town with them and you can actually meet up with them and get to know them after the introduction. But it's best beyond your college lifetime. I would actually even say beyond the time you're in college or in a college town. Because right now you're in a fishing pond of people your age who like a lot of the same things you like. And I would recommend as a pastor, again, what does the Bible say about this? But I would say that it is probably not something you need to entertain until you're outside of a circle, outside of a fishing pond of people your age and in your values. While you're in a fishing pond of college, really, you really don't need to go toward that because it can be a cop-out from human interaction. It can be a shortcut. It can be a pretend world where you sort of like, I'm active on the online site, so I'm dating. Actually, you're not. You're just sort of distracting yourself from those honest invites and acceptances of coffee invitations and that kind of stuff. When you're on those profiles, be honest and be real. Because love doesn't boast. If you got issues, you don't necessarily need to list those on the first date. That could get weird in a hurry. <laughs> well, I'm still here for you. <laughs> Thank you, Siri. That's... <laughs> I'm married, <laughs> but thanks for the offer. <laughs> I'm on hold forever. Let's do a couple more from 1 Corinthians 13. Look at your text again if you have that still open. Um, love does not... Um, arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. 
okay? Love does not insist on its own way. Love doesn't, doesn't become self-serving. Love isn't all about how do I just feed what I want. Love does not seek its own. So if that's the ideal of love, in dating, you must move from desire to pursuit. You must move from desire to pursuit. Here's what I mean. Desire has an interest in possessing. Pursuit has an interest in knowing. Let me say that again. Desire has an interest in possessing. I want that. Give me that. Yes, sir. Thank you, Lord. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Yes, I want some. Yes, please. That person is amazing. Hello. Yes, I want that. I want her. I want him. Desire has the interest in possessing, but pursuit has an interest in knowing. I've been around this person a little bit. I've been in some of the same friend circles as they are, and I've been talking to them a little bit, or I've been just kind of in the outside of some conversations, and I've been hearing them talk, and I kind of want to hang out with them. I want to get to know them better. I, I, I don't want to be driven by desire, whether you call that lust, or whether you just call that for like, I'm going to set myself up so that people will be impressed by the person on my arm. I don't want to be driven by that. I want to be drawn to a person's heart, not their body. Now, I grew up in church like a lot of you guys. And I remember those, those days in a church class or a youth group function or whatever when they were like, what should you look for in a girl? And we'd be like, she has to love Jesus. And it doesn't matter if she's really ugly, just as long as she loves Jesus. And they would say, right answer. Look, God wired us for people to just be attracted to each other, to click for each other. Have you ever seen folks who are together and you're just like, wow, some, wow, they saw something in each other. Wow. Good for them. That's awesome. You know, that's Wow. God's wired us for that kind of attraction, so don't worry about that. You don't have to say, well, I guess, man, I have to go for a woman of good character. She can't look good, you know, as if those things are mutually exclusive. This room is probably full of beautiful women who love Jesus. Hello, that's a great combo. This room's probably full of handsome men who love the Lord. It's a great combination. You do not have to chunk out the idea of attraction just to find a person who loves Jesus. But you don't need to be driven by attraction. That's this idea here of desire versus pursuit. I don't want to just go for what I crave. I want to go for what my heart needs. I don't want to go for just what I crave. I want to go for what my heart needs. God's wired us to crave some things, hasn't he? Certain things make us do a double take. Certain things make us linger on a website. Certain things make us linger on a TV show. Uh, back when you watched TV, before you streamed everything. Th certain things make us, make us kind of like, yeah, I'm listening to you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm listening to you. And you're watching this other person walk across the campus. Or like, who's that? Certain things cause us to see. And that's not a bad deal. But we don't want to be driven by desire in our pursuit of a relationship that could turn into a marriage. Men, you need to understand that women want to be pursued more than they want to be desired. 
That sounds counterintuitive from what the culture is telling you. Because the culture is telling you is that all women want to be thought of as hot. For some reason, those three little letters have become the goal of every female. I want somebody to think I'm hot. I'm telling you, for you to be captivated by her heart and swept off your feet by her personality and her sensitivities and her passions and her dreams and her desire, for you to be captivated by her and to want to know her, she will take that every day of the week. Can I get an amen from the girls? Women want to be pursued more than they want to be desired. Somebody, some guy in the room is going to clue into that. This isn't a scheme to flatter your way into a relationship. Be interested in somebody. Interested enough to buy them a cup of coffee. And then see where it goes from there. Discovery phase is there for a reason. Do small things to let girls know, men, that you treasure them and that you want to know them better. When you ask them out for a date, don't go to a movie where you're both sitting in the dark, sitting beside each other, facing a screen. When you ask them out on a date, have a conversation. Or go on a hike where you can talk. Do something where you guys can get to know each other. Back to our text. Verse 6. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Can anybody guess what wrongdoing is in the Bible? Sin. Yay! I'd give you points if we had points, but 10 points to Gryffindor. Okay. Um, Because love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, you must embrace chastity until marriage. Oh, great. There's that point. Because love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, you must embrace chastity until marriage. You must be pure. You must be holy. The Bible talks very clearly about spiritual immorality. There's a Greek word there. It's called pornea. It's actually where we get our modern kind of use of the word pornography even. But it's this inappropriate sexuality. And I'll talk about this at length tomorrow night about sex and marriage and God's design for it and why sex and marriage is not only right, but it's best. I'll talk about that at length tomorrow night. But anything outside of marriage, any sexual interaction of any kind between two people who aren't married is inappropriate in the eyes of God. And love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. And there are couples who want to date and just quickly grow tired of interacting and discovering each other in talking, and they just default into desire and just start clawing at each other. And pretty soon clothes are flying off, and they are trying to equate that with a meaningful dating relationship. And that is inappropriate in the eyes of God. And can we also be reminded for a moment, there is one God who made all things. There's one true God who made all things. And because he's the one who made all things, he gets to set the rules. He gets to design the preferences for how he wants life to go. He has a design. 
I mentioned this also a little bit earlier. And these designs that God has given, these things that are appropriate, these things that are inappropriate, are not His attempts to rob us of joy, but it, they are His guidances to lead us away from the fleshly cravings that are going to get us into regret and trouble. And He is leading us and calling us on these paths that will lead to joy and fullness and satisfaction and safety and security and peace and all these kind of things. God has given the things that are appropriate and inappropriate because He loves us. They are the kindnesses of God. And you have to be reminded again that sex before marriage is wrongdoing and love does not celebrate or rejoice in wrongdoing. There should be no physical affection in the interested phase of dating and no physical affection in the discovery phase of dating. Before you're a declared couple, there should not be physical affection. There's no need for it. Before you're a declared exclusive dating couple, there should not be any physical affection. There's so much protection in that. There's so much kindness in that. Oh, I don't want them to wonder what that kiss meant because we're not a couple yet. I don't want to confuse this with getting their motor running physically. And by the way, girls, let me just let you in on this. Anytime you touch a boy or kiss a boy, his motor is running and it's way past first gear. It's in 11th gear. And you're like, there's no such thing as 11th gear. There are about 40 gears in a guy, okay? <laughs> and it's already past 11th gear when you touch or brush up against him or sit on his lap or kiss him or perhaps look at him for more than seven seconds, maybe. <laughs> Guys, true? Yeah. Yeah, so just a little kiss goodnight. Uh, you're, you're just going, what a dreamy experience. And the guy's going, ah, 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 more. <laughs> okay? Girls are going, not really. God, help me out, guys. Yeah, that's exactly what we're thinking. So no physical affection before the discovery and interested phases are finished. And then while you're dating, this is some pastoral recommendation because the Bible isn't clear about this, but this is just some pastoral uh, loving advice from shepherd to some sheep. That while you're in an exclusive dating, there should be nothing beyond mouth-to-mouth -mouth ki mouth kissing and dating. No wandering hands. No, let's just engage in oral sex and call that not sex because you're revving each other up to climax or you're bringing each other to, to experience things that are reserved for marriage. And it's not that you're saving the sacred wedding night. Oh, don't pollute yourself so that you can stand before your new spouse and say you're clean and they're clean. We have over-exaggerated the value of the wedding night. I don't want you to be holy because you want to preserve your wedding night. I want you to be holy because you honor God. The highest motive for staying sexually pure isn't so that you can present yourself to a spouse. The highest motive is so that you can honor the Lord God. And He has called those things wrongdoing. Something happens in you physiologically when you engage in sexual activity. And this, we'll talk about this more tomorrow night, but 
When you do those things, even if you're just engaged in oral sex and trying to not call it sex, you're opening yourself up to these things that just make your heart open up and feeling vulnerable and exposed. And I'm not just talking physically. In your soul, in your spirit, in your heart, you're exposed. And only the covenant of marriage can protect that. We'll talk about that more tomorrow night. Don't want to get off topic too much. So, because love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, you must embrace chastity until marriage. Chastity means I could have sex, but I'm choosing not to. Last one. Because love is defined by God, that's what 1 Corinthians teaches us, your greatest need in dating is a relationship with Him. Because love is defined by God, He's the embodiment of God. As a matter of fact, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that God is love? Because love is defined by God, your greatest need is a relationship with God. Now let's be clear about this for a moment. For every single person in this room, more than you need a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you need a relationship with the one true God. Because you don't just need somebody to do something with on Friday night. You don't just need somebody to grow old with and have grandkids that you adore and spoil. You need a relationship with God because your life with another person here on earth is big and substantial and it's significant. But the greatest need of the human heart is to be right with God so that you can spend forever with God. It is important for you guys to understand It's important for you to understand that unless you have your sins forgiven by God, that unless you follow Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life, that you will not spend forever with God. The Bible teaches us that this one God who made all things and designed how things are going to go, when mankind defied him and rebelled against him in sin, God gave us what came with that, which is a a sentence of death forever. Did you realize that every person lives forever? It's just a question of the address. Every person lives forever. It's just a question of the address. For those who believe in Jesus and have their sins forgiven by Jesus and follow him as the Lord and leader of their life, for those people, they get to live forever with Jesus and with God in heaven, in perfection, and with the ones that they love who know Jesus, who've gone before them forever. But for those who reject Jesus and don't have their sins forgiven, they don't have the guilt of their sin wiped away by faith in Jesus, those people live forever in a very real place called hell. We don't like to talk about hell very much anymore, but it's a very real place and real people go there every day. Beyond your need for a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you need to be right with God. And the only way to be right with God is to believe in Jesus, his son. Check this out. Mankind rebelled against the one true God who declared his preferences and designs and rules for life. We rebelled. But what did God do? He didn't punish us. He responded to our guilt with something called grace, where God said, you're the ones who are guilty and deserve punishment, but I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to die on the cross. And that cross is going to be me punishing sin, your sin and my sin. So where we deserve to be punished, God punished his son, Jesus. And Jesus took on himself all of the wrath of God, all the penalty of sin that he never deserved. And he died. 
The cross became an altar, and Jesus, we sometimes call him the Lamb of God, Jesus was the last and final sacrifice for sins. And when Jesus died, all the guilt of our sin was paid for. And then God raised him from the dead three days later to demonstrate his power over death and hell and sin. And God has made this amazing offer to you and to me. It's an incredible offer that if you would believe in Jesus as God's son and that he came and died for sin and rose again, and you would confess him as your Lord and follow him as the Lord and leader of your life, you could be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell and judgment and darkness and living life slave, enslaved to all the sins that trap us and trick us. There is the most amazing offer. Check this out. You, you don't get saved because you try real hard to be a good boy or a good girl. You're not saved because you're better than someone else. Our actions have nothing to do with it. It sounds too good to be true, but it is. The Bible tells us it is by grace through faith that we are saved, believing in Jesus. So I just wanted to bring us tonight to this point in this session that for some of you in this room, I know you're desperate to find someone. I know. I know you've cried yourself to sleep at night. I know that there have been days when you've seen other people walking hand in hand and sadness turned to anger. And you've screamed at God quietly, maybe when no one else knew it was happening. I know that you are frustrated and you're tired of waiting. But some of you, your greatest need isn't a man or a woman. It's to know God through Jesus. That's the biggest need of your life. Way more important than a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. For some of you, you need to get so satisfied in Jesus that you won't be tempted to find your heart satisfied by a man or a woman. Because you're only setting yourself up for disappointment because there has never been a man, girls, there's never been a man other than Jesus who could satisfy your life. Men, there's never been a woman born who could satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. Only God can satisfy. So be careful that you don't fixate on wanting a date because you need to realize if you're not fully satisfied in Christ, you'll be tempted to find fulfillment in another person. Love is defined by God, and He has a desire to see you experience joy in dating and in marriage. But let's be kind. Let's not boast. Let's not seek our own. And let's make sure that we are following His lead and doing things His way avoiding the wrongdoing, and trying to be wise. Because dating is not in the Bible, but it's a real biblical thing to do, to move through these phases toward your happily ever after. Let's pray.